Hello and welcome to another episode of What's That Noise? I'm your host, Derek Silva. Today, not with my co-host, Tommy Cook, but instead I'm with my other very, very good friend, Jordan Zales. How are you doing today, Jordan? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. First off, tell me a little bit about yourself. My name is Jordan Zales. Uh, I'm a musician. Uh, I'm made up of music. I'm a second year PhD student in ethnomusicology at Memorial University in Newfoundland. Newfoundland, the rock. I'm, I've been on the rock, yes. <laughs> have you been there? No, I have not. You should go. Uh, I've been in Nova Scotia, Cape Breton Island, mm. Glace Bay, and I never got uh, out to do sort of take the ferry out to uh, Newfoundland. It's really far. Yeah. <laughs> it's far from everything. It's far. So we're, we're recording this podcast in Kitchener, Waterloo. Water, Waterloo. We're in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. Um, so we're, we're quite a bit away from the rock. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's, it's a unique spot in that it is so far away from everything. You could be the next closest city and it would still be a great distance from the rock. It must be nice though. It can be. If, if you're an academic or a scholar right. and, and just, just giving some time or having some space away from everyone else and everything else, right? Yeah, the, the biggest shock to me, so it has its own time zone. You always hear like hockey night in Canada, you know, 7.30 in Newfoundland. Yeah. Right? Um, you wake up and there's no news yet. Yeah. Like you, you, you have to go a few hours into your day before the cycle of like good morning Friday or today's Saturday morning, it's like 11 a.m. True. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Mm. So it's different. You're, you're detached. You're in between two worlds. I yeah. think because there, there's a strong connection there to go east, go further into Europe. Yeah. Um, so as a part of Canada, you learn, you learn a lot being there. And uh, the school's incredible. The music school at Memorial yeah, yes. uh, is incredible. So, so you are a PhD student in ethnomusicology, yes, right? Yes. I, have to, I have to ask, what the hell is ethnomusicology? <laughs> so I can give you the short answer, which is the cultural study of music led ethnographically. Um, but the, the longer answer comes from the study of comparative musicology uh, and out of studies of different folklore, late 19th century. Um, it started out kind of as a way of collecting different folk musics, uh, to preserve what people thought were disappearing country, uh, cultures. So you have like the romantic nationalism of Europe in the 19th century. Let's say you're, I don't know, you're in Poland and there's more people moving to the city. So the villagers are, um, no, I don't know. Like, uh, they have, they have a distinct cultural sound they make their own musics what we would just call today folk music uh and it came from like kind of a, a collection and analysis of that stuff but that's really not what it is anymore uh, like it's become something different <clears throat> right so that's the problem i guess i'm looking at it from too much of an insider perspective when i'm trying to trying to explain it it's the cultural study of music it's the anthropology of sound how does sound and music because not all sound is music which is a whole debate into itself. Uh, how does that function uh, to help organize the social world? Interesting. So what is your research um, a little bit more specifically? Mm-hmm. What, are you, what are you interested in? So I, I'm interested in uh, all sorts of things about music. My dissertation has me writing about the sound and music of sport. So most people, when they say they're an ethnomusicologist, they focus on a music culture. 
Um, but most often, because the way the world works today, those are associated with uh, ethnic boundaries, national boundaries, racial boundaries. So I study the music of place A of people or place X of people Y. Yeah. I study uh, the music. Um, I, study, I study Cuban jazz music. Okay, cool. You're from outside of that culture. Most often, you know, ethnomusicologists come from anywhere, but you're usually not from the culture you study. So you go in there with that outsider perspective. You get a real good experience in it. Hopefully you learn a master that kind of teaches you the culture. And you write not only what the music in that music culture is, um, but what it means to the people, uh, how it is in the world, how it relates to being musically, how, how it's not just sound anymore, why it's music. All those questions. So instead of me picking country A or people X, I study the culture. I study is the culture of sport and I study the music of it. Interesting. So can you tell me a couple uh, of locations or, or yep. social contexts in which you've studied in the past or yep. are currently studying? The, so the first piece I, I ever did was study the marching band while I was a student, a master student at Carleton University. Carlton, uh, Carlton, shout out. Shout must, out. Must, uh, I was also a master's student at Carlton once upon a time. Yeah. I think that's where we met. You were my quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> we played flag football, uh, Canadian football, uh, not soccer. Um, and Mr. Derek Silva, Dr. Derek Silva, you were the quarterback. We had a great squad. We got to the final. It was fantastic. We were a bunch of old <laughs> men. Old men. But we knew the game. We, yeah, we yeah. knew how to use our bodies. To leverage space yeah. to our advantage. Yeah. And we did it over and over again. You were, you were the center. Uh, I did snap the ball. Yeah, snap, mm. uh, snap me the ball. But uh, aside from that, getting back on, on point. Uh, yeah, uh, so, okay, the marching band. Yes, you start so, with the marching band. Uh, there was, so my whole life, it, it goes back to like who I am and I like music. But my whole life I've been playing sports and studying music. It's what I've been doing. I've been doing it forever. So, and... Whenever you go to a sports game, it's not always like, what do you hear sound? And there's, oh, the sound of a slap shot. Yeah, of course we can study those things. But there, there's music too, right? The hockey organs, the famous thing and whatnot. So I, I was just always interested in, in the soundscape, which is kind of a key word in our field of study, but like all the sounds that are in a place. Um, the sport just generates to me a really, really interesting one. And um, what at least they taught us uh, in that program, it's a very sociological music school. Let's just look at look at relationships between people that come through the music, relationships of power that come to the music. You know, how is it funded? How do people do that? So when I studied the marching band at Carleton University, it was a really, really interesting study of politics where you learn, you know, the Ottawa Red Blacks were the CFL team there, the Canadian Football League squad uh, that were on hiatus. They had disappeared for whatever amount of time and along with their relaunch in a you know 300 million dollar renovated downtown arena uh, the university decided to relaunch its collegiate canadian football league team and yeah carlton right carlton so part of part of its pizzazz or its spectacle was um one of the one of the heads at the school decided it would be a good idea to have uh, a pep band like a marching band um, she had come from an American school, and to her, there's no football if there's no marching band. Uh, so all these new instruments and scholarships for these people had to come from, or for these students to be engaged in a marching band, you need to hire a director, you need to buy all the music, the rights to play the music, you need to buy all these new marching instruments. Uh, and what, I, what we found out was um, 
it just the donation that fed the school was very much linked to the development group for the new downtown arena. And then what what we learned further investigating is that it actually came from like a legal parking limit that needed to be within a radius of the downtown arena. And the best place to put one was on the grounds of the university. So along with the donation came a new parking lot, which then allowed for a new or allowed for proper zoning. Wow. So that was the first investigation uh, that I did into the sound of music and sport, but in more than just what it sounds like, you know, like, you, you know, banter, we can all. This is our house, chun 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 chun. Right, Toronto FC there, right? Yeah, or or the any, Ottawa a, Fury, or, or or any any Montreal Impact. Yes, yes, LA Galaxy. Yeah, interesting. So you started off uh, exploring the uh, the reemergence of the Ottawa Red Blacks, right? Correct. Yeah, and in this small case was um, the pet band of the the university's football team and then i did my big study there on the red blacks themselves i went to all the games Mm -hmm. and their relaunch season and just tried to scope out what exactly was the sound of the place the first question what does football sound like yes question number one that itself is such an interesting study where does the sounds come from um why does they sound that way who are the people making the sounds right you you just learn all of that stuff just by just mapping out what, what's actually taking place. Um, but then what was interesting is because it was a football team and a Canadian football team, they shared an arena with what were called um, a football club, the Ottawa Fury Football Club. So there's what we would call soccer yeah. uh, taking place the same year, brand new stadium. Let's launch not only Canadian football, let's launch an association football team. Yeah, so and I, that's the division below the MLS. It's two divisions. Two divisions. Uh, below now. I'm not sure if they're in the USL or the NASL. NASL. NASL because they've recently dropped another league they were getting low attendance and they weren't winning a lot of games so I think they thought being a bigger fish in a smaller pond was a good idea yeah but anyway so I looked there not only at the differences between Canadian football and association football or football and soccer it took place in the same space so we looked at like how spaces are transformative and dualities pluralities um and now uh, my new research um, is looking at the sound of music of the Toronto Raptors basketball team. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and what does that sort of entail for you as a researcher? Well, it uh, so far has entailed actually going to the games. Uh, I have um, a binaural set of microphones. They're, um, yeah, it's two microphones, basically. You just put them in your ears. And they record sound as a human body captures them. So you get these really, really interesting, a lot of people say like immersive recordings. The left ear is very different than the right ear. When you listen back, it's, you actually feel like you're in the space. Yeah. So I go to the games, I record what it actually sounds like um, hours at a time, just run a tape, whatever. And then what's cool is afterwards, you can go back to them and revisit not only what these sounds actually are, but what they might come to represent. Uh, so there's a scholar, Jocelyn Gilbo called it the audible entanglement. Um, so in, in her lens, you can actually hear, you know, modern or contemporary distribution through listening to the sounds of a basketball game. Um, the speakers that are putting them weren't probably made in Toronto. Where were those put together? Yeah. So we trace that line. Oh, okay. So they're from a factory from where, how did they get into the arena? So you get like, oh, there's popular music playing. What is the song? Sure, it's Drake, which is a whole other, I mean, 
segment we're gonna have to go into if we're talking about the sound of musical rafters here <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but but then you can actually if you like kind of read in a secondary nature or like how did the wiring get done in the stadium where did the steel come from mm, like a, a political economy of real sound. political economy of sound wow. in that space so what's interesting is not to know that like that there is sound coming out of speakers but to be fascinated by the fact that there is music coming out of speakers yeah that those electronic impulses shock the space to send a wave that I call music is, is itself fascinating first before we look at how it got there, what it is, what it's playing. Is that a top 40 hit? What yeah, is the see, lifestyle that, association? But there's like all these layers. That's almost of, where I would end as, right. as a, as a sociologist mm-hmm. who is, is not that interested in sound particularly. I would end at the political economy yeah. of the music that sure. that is being played in Air Canada Center yeah. or, or soon to be soon Scotia Bank Scotia Bank Center. It's a lot of money too. Is it seven hundred million? I I would I have no it's over idea. Over ten what, years. I think it's seventy seventy a year, ten years. That's that's impressive. Um unsurprising. They uh, own like five. Scotia Bank's now yeah. named five. Yeah. Got the one in Ottawa as well. Yeah. Or no, now that's Canadian Tire. So these, sure. I wish every uh, sports uh, organization just went with a great name that reflected the team, like Yankee Stadium. I think. Yeah, or um, Park. Make Wrigley is uh, make the team owners like but, don't sell the naming rights. Who sells their name? Everyone. Right. I didn't. <laughs> well, nobody offered. Actually, I'm looking for offers. If I'll listening. offer you five bucks. I ain't selling take you it. Five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> So okay, um, so you so your your new project is on the Toronto Raptors and yeah. sound at the uh, Scotia Bank Center or Scotia still Bank Air Arena. Canada Center. We're gonna we're gonna yeah, that's another uh, discussion that we can have a little bit later. Bring us into your field a little bit. A lot of the listeners of this podcast will be from the sociological, mm-hmm. uh, criminological realm. True. Uh, I want you to uh, maybe begin by highlighting some of the noise that's in your particular field or mm. or questions that you're grappling with that you're trying to clarify um that are a little bit more broad sure uh i guess the big the biggest question is and this is kind of whatever but it's just um why do people do stuff it's a great question so that's the big question. Why do people do stuff? And what exactly is, you know, within the sonic dimension, right? Why do, we, why do we make sounds? Why do we need sounds? Why do we interpret sounds? What do they do for us? How do they help organize the social world? Uh, the questions I'm dealing with particularly have to do uh, with affect. And it can get fuzzy pretty quickly and a lot of people dismiss it as feelings it's okay we love fuzziness on this part mm-hmm. right so that's a, that's exactly the point it's something that today actually the discourse is changing um but the way we feel how we are affected by things and how in fact we affect things is very important so it's not like you know what a lot of people might might just call art we've now in our discipline call um expressive culture uh, it's, it's, it's just kind of a, a, a better scientific word here because what is art? Well, in some expression, whatever, you can argue that forever. But we, we basically look at any expressive culture and its context. Why do people do what they do and what does it do? 
Yeah. So we look at music and sound more generally because, again, that's a debatable line. What is sound? What is music? Um, and we look at it regard, um, with regard to the greater cultural context, social context, economic context, political context that takes place in, uh, and tell a human story. Um, ethnomusicology is ethnographically led. Um, it would be, it would be a, a waste of time to not actually engage the humans, the people who, who are under or who experience, interact, engage with oral media, oral culture, sound culture, music yeah. in any space, yeah, anywhere, anytime. How do you see that ethnographic research playing into your own in terms of, um, can you give us an, any insight into, um, what you expect would be an outcome of your research with the Toronto Raptors? The, uh, the outcome I hope, I hope to get, I don't know if you can hope for an outcome, but I, I'm yeah, hoping I, I, it's, it's a, it's a confirmation bias, like sort sure. of riddled question. Yeah. I understand right. that, but, but what I'm, I'm trying to learn, uh, revolve around questions of, uh, uh, performativity. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know if that comes mm-hmm. up in sociological literature, but it, the, the idea is fairly straightforward. It comes from um, what, what today is called performance studies, but the key theorist there is Judith Butler, who wrote a lot in gender theory, but, but the idea that everything you do uh, not only matters, but always is always referential to previous behaviors. There's no kind of raw essence of anything everything is always built on things that have come before and when you do it not only do you kind of like reaffirm it but you create it so it's this kind of infinite referential cycle of social behavior yeah what you do does stuff yeah influences others uh and i i'm i don't know exactly how it works uh and even whether it's true or not um but what i what i like to know is how does somebody doing something anywhere change or affect the way I do something here. It's like, it's like there's a, um, like a symbolic realm, let's say, there, that pushes me to act a certain way, to walk a certain path, to say a certain word. There's real physical tangential things, like I'm not going to walk through a wall to get <laughs> to you. Um, but there, there are these symbolic boundaries uh and i would say symbolic forces that have us acting a certain way being a certain way uh and a lot of it is is music um bertolt brecht uh, art is not a mirror of reality it's the hammer with which we shape it yeah right so if we just replace the art the word art with expressive culture the word expressive culture music um i believe uh that <laughs> you can influence people with music yeah so I'm saying that the Raptors are, I mean, that'd be, I mean, think, I think that's obvious, but it's a matter of what they think they're doing and their intention. And then on the reception side, what people actually get out of the experience of the music, those don't necessarily need to be in dialogue with each other. They're just both a matter, a matter of fact. Yeah. The Raptors are doing something. The people at the games are doing something. They're reacting in some way. In some way, but it may, may not even be like reacting. They're yeah. both just acting. So you're in this complex situation where uh, a lot of the ideas are sent out um, orally. Yeah. So does going to a Raptors game encourage me to buy an OVO sweater? Probably. Yeah. But um, that, that might be too shallow. 
of a reading. See, see, that's where my reading tends to go. My reading of this whole Drake global ambassador for the Toronto Raptors, this uh, million dollar contract, $4 million, $4 million contract to be global ambassador of the Raptors leads me down the path of, of saying, oh, it's just another way for us to um, promote Drake and promote um, buying Drake's clothing lines or, or whatever it is. Uh, but you're highlighting or you're potentially aiming to highlight it's, it's much more complex than that. Right. So to go like this campaign, this what, what they call the Welcome Toronto or OVO slash Welcome Toronto campaign, yeah. I think there are six nights um, where the Raptors have new jerseys that are yep. designed by the OVO team. And they're, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. They're I want one. I want stunning. one as a Toronto Raptors fan yeah. wearing a Toronto Raptors hat right now as we yeah, record true. this pod. Raptors playoffs 2018. <laughs> first time I saw the hat. The innovator. It's, yes. I'm ahead of the game. Absolutely. So this OVO, the OVO New Jerseys. So the Raptors are purple and white historically. Yeah. Red now. So when, che- when teams change color, that's an interesting study in itself. Yeah. yeah. Hobbs, Bomb and Ranger, the invention of tradition. Mark, when things change color, that is evidence. Evidence of what? That's what we can discuss that's what here. We, that's what we need to do as So as Yeah, it's evidence of something, yeah. but evidence of what? Uh, but not only are they no longer um, purple and white or red, they're black and gold. And they don't say Toronto or Raptors. Yeah. They say North. And they point to the North. Yeah, uh, the Chevron. Yeah, yeah, they have a Chevron. On the, on the new floor, which they designed for those six games. Yeah. And it's a gold Chevron that points North, I think they say, to the future. And these nights are, these six OVO Welcome Toronto nights are, uh, I think they use the, I think this is like a quote, uh, immersive brand experience. Immersive brand experience. Mm. So it starts outside the arena. Um, you actually get the subwoofer, the base, before you even scan your ticket. Like, you feel it. Before you walk in, you know, you can actually feel oh, it, right? Oh, you like, mean there's a different sound for Not even, games. you can't hear it, you feel it. You feel, it's a subwoofer. So you feel it in your heart. You feel it in your rattling through your mm. resonant chamber. Mm. That is your body. Mm. Your rib cage. It's, just, it's like a xylophone, right? So you're outside the arena. Everybody's wearing the same thing. Yeah. They all have these North jerseys. Yeah. Often with the number six and the name Drake, who doesn't play for the team. He, d- he definitely no, doesn't. But you can get him in 2K18, Sega Sports. You can get Drake. Isn't that like the taboo, though? You don't, you don't wear a jersey. Say with your own. You're not going to wear a jersey no. that says 99 uh Zalis on the back no i'm not gonna go to a leafs game unless i'm on the team 34 silva yeah, on the back no way some people do that i wouldn't but i know people do so there's that but what what's the interesting part for my study and i think it's the half that we didn't talk about yet is how this resonates in the actual basketball communities in toronto yeah so they sponsor four courts they're building and renovating four community arenas with these four million dollars so in the Toronto, in the downtown in, Toronto in community, the, the six, yeah, there's the four six. different ones. Mm. So I'm going to those two. Mm. So what does basketball sound like there as a grassroots game? And then, and then, is there a crossover? So does this monument Drake actually do this? Mm-hmm. Like, 
if I go to an arena in one of the, or sorry, not the arena, if I go to the court, one of these four community centers, does it going to sound like Drake? Is there even music? Is it going to sound like the Drake night at, right. at the Raptors or, game? Or even then, like, because there's a, such a strong association today with basketball and hip hop. Yeah. Um, so you wonder, I mean, I play pickup ball a fair bit. Uh, when I was in Ottawa, I played it a lot and there wasn't music. We didn't listen to music when we played basketball. Yeah. So now, was that, that by choice or was that? It was just, we just didn't play music. Yeah, yeah. We played basketball. Mm. So it wouldn't be out of place if there was a, a boom box, but there wasn't one. Yeah. So then you wonder this tie between hip hop and basketball, like where is it generated? And then you think, is the street the pure form of the game? And you get all these arguments and people talk about it coming up in like Brooklyn projects in the late seventies, but they had like breakdancing culture, hip hop culture and basketball culture all kind of taking place in these same, these same areas. But like, is that the case? I don't know. So I, I that's May to September. I'm yeah. going to be playing basketball five days a week outdoors in Toronto. Yeah. Trying to figure out what it actually sounds like outside of the professional game. I think that that orienting question, what does basketball sound like, is, is so interesting to mm. me. It even extends my own approach to exploring the political economy of, of the sport, which is something I'd be interested in. Right. Um, it extends that into the sound domain. I think that's absolutely mm. fascinating. They, they launched the campaign. They say it's a community art ball campaign. So they're, again, they're not even being blat- blatant. Like uh, basketball then is representative of a, it's a platform. Right? Yeah. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. So you, you can start not only investigating what it actually is, but then like where do those $4 million go? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How are they incorporated into the, into the plans of the community center? Yeah. Are they changing the place? Is it just a paint job? What fundamental issues are they addressing? Are they like, is it quote unquote empowering youth through the yeah. game? Maybe. And that's what your research kind of, that's, you, that's you, the other half. Just looking at what basketball sounds like, you yeah. can give the players, those people who practice the game or play the game. It's practitioners. Like they all have voices. So what are they saying? Yeah. Some of what basketball sounds like. And that goes like the, um, this year, the hashtag NBA voices campaign during February. Right. We all have voices. It's a platform. It's not, shut up and play, like let them speak. That's what basketball sounds like too. Yeah. So it goes in all, all these different directions and I just engage with it ethnographically and come out with something to say, I guess. I don't know. One of the angles, I think we've, we've talked about this in, uh, in private to one another, but how this plays into to Canadian identity. Oof. So yeah. that, that, that's a huge topic and we're going to start with it in this podcast. Okay. But, how yeah how does this now myself as a sociologist i take i listen to we the north uh and hashtag we the north and all of these uh uh claims to the north um by virtue or by the uh, toronto raptors and i i teach this uh in my classes about uh collective conscious or, or creating a, a social solidarity uh to borrow off of uh, emil durkheim for the sociologist supposed to read that guy but m- when i think about it more deeply i can't help move away from an appropriation of a culture that is not reflective in or not reflected in the ownership group of of rogers communications who owns the 
majority stake, Rogers and Bell, who own the Toronto Raptors. I can't see that collective conscious. I can just see an appropriation of a particular culture. Well, I would wonder what, what culture, if there is one, but you think if, if it's an idea of appropriation, so what are they appropriating? Cold weather? A cardinal direction? I think that the, the North as an idea is sure. imbued in a culture. Is it is imbued in a particular cultural context? Yeah, and if it's Canada as North, which it seems to be, yeah, yeah, then then that's where the fun starts. So we can start looking at what is this North that the Raptors? What is this imaginary idea of North that they put out today? Yeah, I I think you can cut it on a whole bunch of yeah, levels. The, so if you just I look at this. Canada yeah, yeah. as the North, uh, or Canada and the North, in and there's Canada, the North one level. Right. The North is just simply a direction. I think sure. everyone listening to this it's podcast a cardinal can, direction, of course, but it's a place, of course, and it's there's, imaginary place. Yes, and it's a place that is typically, at least in this hemisphere, associated with Canada. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Or often. I should say often. often. Right. And, and this was interesting, again, because they're not the only ones. I showed you earlier, the Minnesota Timberwolves are also making a claim as North, right? So there's that all eyes North, which is like, what the heck? They even use the Chevron. Yeah. So they're pointing yeah. North too, right? They, like, the Chevron, yeah. And they have a Canadian on the roster. Not that I want to bring that right back to Canada. Wiggins is from the six. It's, yes. Yep. Brampton, right? I believe you're right. Tristan Thompson also. Well... Right, Corey and then, Joseph from Pickering. And then before we get too off topic, Drake just did the new documentary on Undisputed called The Carter Effect, which mm. looks at basketball in the North mm. post-90... What? No, I don't know when Carter started. I'd say post-95, but that's just when the Raptors started. But anyway, so all and these young guys... In, I want to say 2001. Anyway, Somebody can correct can, me on that. Steve, can you look that up? <laughs> we don't have a Steve here. <laughs> <laughs> we we definitely don't have Steve on this podcast. No, so they're saying hopefully all, one day all these all these ballers from the north that are now. I mean, Canada's making waves in the basketball globally, and that's a yep. good thing. I think it's yep. good for the future of our country to be great at basketball. I think that would yes, Doctor James Naismith. I, right? Yeah, Elmont, Ontario, uh, and the first professional ever game. Uh, yeah. Most people know 1946, November first. The Toronto, Toronto Huskies, Huskies lost yeah. to the. New York Knickerbockers and Maple Leaf Gardens. Beautiful. Beautiful. So they all also hosted the first ever game. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, I think soccer might be a lost cause here. The weather's not ideal for it. Basketball's an indoor game. Mm-hmm. Maybe the North is indoors. Maybe. The new imaginary North indoors. The North always points to the future, yeah. according to the myth that the Raptors create. But what, I like that idea of North and Canadian identity because whenever you seek it out, it seems to be an imaginary place. Yeah. So you can look, you can look at how, or the discourse around or concerning itself with what that imaginary ideal North is, and then kind of ex- extrapolate it from there. Yeah. And I think what the Raptors present, I mean, the cover of Slam magazine, which comes out today, yeah, is Demar Derozan, King of the North, uh, and it's snow. Um. So there's that much. I don't know if there's snow in downtown Toronto right now, but we don't need to go like literally or realistically what North is. Yeah, it's, it's just, image. Yeah, like so, so what, is, what is the claim? You know, what are the stakes? And they say like this, that new Toronto, or whatever that means. Uh, I guess this is that new Toronto. Mm-hmm. So if the new Toronto is the hub of the North, you know, what does that say about 
the actual north or what might be called Canada's north, which is a whole different place. Definitely not cosmopolitan business center yeah. in southwest Ontario. <laughs> it's definitely not that. Absolutely. That's not what I imagine the north to be. And Drake is the sixth god. He's the king of the north. But DeMar DeRozan is the king of the north. Ugh. It's, it's loaded, right? Mm-hmm. It's absolutely loaded. And I think that that's what always brings me back to how this brand or this idea of the North has become branded hmm. around uh, a, a not so Northern sport and a not so Northern personality. Hmm. Like what, what would, what would a Northern personality be? Uh, I think that that is a question in and of itself. <laughs> uh, something that's a little bit more complex, but I, I wouldn't say that uh, South West or Southeast Ontario is the place to understand Canadian culture or Northern culture, um, particularly around places like Toronto. Toronto is a cosmopolitan city in a right. massively vast and open country. Yeah. And there's a lot of country that goes north of that. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's Most kind of, of the country. Yes. I think 90% of the people yeah. in Canada live at, uh, within 100 miles of the U.S. border. Sure. There's a, whole, there's a whole host of interesting cultures as you go north in, sure. in this country. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure how that can be represented adequately at Air Canada Center. What does basketball sound like in Churchill, Manitoba? Yeah. What does basketball sound like in the Northwest Territory? To go to a pub, I bet it sounds like Drake. This is <laughs> yes. This is what this is kind of what I'm getting. No, oh, no, what we are getting at. But but when it when it sounds like Drake, what does that mean? Yeah, and I think right. that your your interest in political economy and sound and and the anthropology of sound and mm -hmm. and all of these uh, highlighting the power nexi of. Uh, sound and sport i think that's where there's a lot of value in understanding how our ideas are constructed about particular culture yeah they um so there's a great um i don't want to get it wrong uh harry's my supervisor but dr harris Berger wrote a book called stance in 2010 and it's basically about uh the way we effectively treat things so not only how does basketball affect people but how do people affect basketball and then you get to the idea like is basketball something before we deduce about it or ascribe meaning to it and that's where the ideas that i want to investigate surrounding performativity don't don't incorporate kind of the thing that is so is basketball something and then we ascribe things to it do we affect it a certain way do we ascribe certain meanings to it or is it or is it only subjective yeah and i kind of like the idea to think that maybe basketball is something already yeah but then it's just getting it that sounds you very, either believe it or you don't <laughs> I, I i don't know i think that just sounds very sociological right that that, that just sounds and my my co-host uh tommy cook would say like yeah of course you're gonna bring it back to sociology good uh, mr sociologist there <laughs> um but i think you highlighting the interaction of the subjective experience with the structural, uh, uh, the structural influence, if you will, is 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 interesting and is is valuable as a as a uh, a, a scholarly endeavor. 
Sure. Um, ab- absolutely. That's why I like the questions that, or the types of answers and the questions you can generate after asking questions like, what does something sound like? And then you look at how the music is made. But this idea then that like, if I perform some gesture in public, I scream refs and asshole, right? And I'm doing that for like that one or two seconds of my life and I do it. Now that of course resonates into future action, resonates over other people. But then I wonder if my body and who I am then does something else. Is that refs and asshole now floating in the space? Mm. Where does it go? How, how does that hit people? Yeah. Does that resonate in a right. way that you would not expect right and or even like can it and does it like it's now a disembodied free radical social being purely symbolic yeah out there in some ether and some space is that the social consciousness is does it have um because what's cool is sound waves are material their body's moving they're just not people anymore but then they can carry with them some of my some of my being yeah which to me is like that's why i study music and you can tell because I don't, I don't view sound in that same way as someone who is not passionate about sound. Right. Uh, I don't see sound as the embodiment of something that is external to myself. But it has to be. It, of course. Of course. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't uh, uh, argue with you, mm. but I just don't see sound. I, I see manifestations of sound and I see influences of sound you hear sound yeah i hear it i see (laughs) how people or i i I try to explore how people experience Mm -hmm. sound might be something and then and then you think about right like all those ways people deal with it yeah but then you forget that it is anyways whether there are people there or not well i guess there had to be a building or something in me to make sound in it yeah but then and that's the other interesting thing when you talk, talk about social power relations is sound is thrust upon you. You don't choose. You, don't, you can close your eyes. You don't close your ears. Yeah, right? you, you can, can plug them. You can maybe. plug them, but you won't get rid of But even you then you still feel it. Like yeah. if you go to a Raptors game and you think, it, and it's not to your, like, your liking, like I, my, my, I went to a game, a Raptors game with my parents, older than me obviously, uh, and my dad just couldn't stand it anymore. Like the subwoofer, like shaking his bones. Yeah. Like he just couldn't deal with it. He stayed for the game. He like toughed it out, but was like, why would they do that? Why does this experience of this space? You can't close your eyes to it. You can't close your ears to it. It's actually like a physical force. Yeah. Transferred into you. Yeah. So it might be even more powerful than things we read and things we... It might we- be. So I, I, have a, I have a question to bring it back um, to sport, um, because I think it's a mutual interest that we share, both you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think that other sporting institutions or other sporting leagues or teams or organizations haven't adopted uh, this moniker of the North as much as it seems like basketball has? The Winnipeg Jets, during the anthem, every game, they shout, all the fans, like the 20,000 fans, the shout true, true north. north. And it, I, happens at, it happens in, in Toronto as well. Just not, right. not like, I'm not yeah. saying for all the people in Winnipeg, the one person in Winnipeg who might be listening to this well, podcast. Well, there'll be four after this one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's where I'm born and raised, baby. <laughs> I don't want to suggest that uh, we do it better. We do you not don't. do that better. Nor do I think our team is necessarily better than the Jets. 
uh, oh, whom yeah. play the uh, Raptors tonight, or the Leafs tonight. Um, and True North is uh, the owners of the team, right? True North Sports yeah, Entertainment. Yeah. So then you wonder, are they cheering for the, the lyrics in our anthem, mm-hmm. or is this a corporate call to advertising? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Every game, let's not forget the gracious mm-hmm. lords who let this happen, the True North. That's yeah. that's fascinating. My the bank sponsorships of arenas is one of the number one things I think people should be studying because if you look at the history of the carnival, history of the festival, it was mm. always to buy favor from people who you just couldn't get favor from any other way. It was mm-hmm. kings. Mm-hmm. It was leaders like that who were like, yeah. "Well, give them bread and circuses." Who's doing it today? Scotia Bank. Yeah. HSBC. TD Place. PNC. PNC Park. Quicken Loans Arena. Quicken Loans Arena in Cleveland. We can go on, right? Yeah, yeah. that's a that's that's Who's buying favor today? I'm I'm just really curious why have like so Winnipeg, mm-hmm. the the one of the newest teams in the NHL. Sure. Why have why hasn't this discourse been adopted by say the Toronto Maple Leafs or the uh, hmm. Montreal Canadiens or the Vancouver Canucks, two teams that play on the Canadian image? I, w- I wonder if it goes back to the North being some youthful future. It's somewhere we look to, to keep going towards. And if you're a well-established brand like the Maple Leafs, Canadians, and the Canucks, um, you are it. You're not looking to become it, which might be some of what the Raptors are doing. There's that idea that basketball in Canada is... It's not hockey. I'll tell you that much. Globally, it's much bigger, but internally, you know, you could you could run the country on hockey night in Canada. Yeah, you know, trains hockey run on night time. Canada. <laughs> hockey night in Canada. Tonight is a it's a Saturday night in in Canada in mm-hmm. in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, yeah. and we are going to, we're going to see a Leafs game. We're going to watch the Leafs. Yeah, that's what you do in Canada. That's what you do. Uh, I'm more of a basketball fan. I'm just going to say it. Like the NCAA tournament's on at the same time, but I bet I'm going to have to ask for it to be put on a TV. Absolutely. And it'll be put on the, <laughs> low, the, low, the lower left-hand TV that's barely viewable by anyone other than yourself. Yeah. I don't, but going back to the North thing, my, my take would be that the North represents something that's for, for tomorrow or leaning to tomorrow and less today. Um, supposedly that's... What, as if the North, the North is the future? The North yeah, is... the North is becoming. Like, there's that idea, too. Like, so in Winnipeg, we also have this statue on top of the legislative building called the Golden Boy. And he points North. Um, it's a big gold. I think it's like 17 feet tall. Um, and it's just a big golden kid. The sheath of wheat, the torch, facing North um, to show us where the future lies for Canada. And I guess Manitoba, Winnipeg is a, a place. And, but it ha- that has to do with the heavy industry and natural resources that are up there. Yeah. Which brings us to something we had discussed briefly earlier. Um, and it's worth mentioning that these new claims on the North, you know, whether it be the Toronto Raptors claiming we the North or whatnot, if, if the North is theirs, then, you know, is it just a natural resource to be, to be exploited? Is this normalizing um, an exploitation? Yeah, when you when you hashtag we the north, it's your north, our north, not their north, not those who are up north. It's our north, our north, and we're south along the border. That's where I sometimes wish basketball was just a game, but yeah. it's not. 
yeah, that's when you connect the sport with with the societal context, with the political yeah. economy. And there's structure eight. I mean, we shape it. It shapes us. They shape each other. This take, this, this, uh, call it a hot take. Call it a <laughs> hashtag. Uh, we the north. Call it just a a, a couple uh, interested people. Mm. Uh, researching things that are interesting to us but either way this is a fascinating connection between sound and political economy and social context that i think can't be ignored no it it can't nor should it be um i think we're just late to reading it there's so there's a wealth of scholarship about the sound of sport, but it just stops outside of like football in Europe, like soccer. And it's as if somebody put blinders on North American scholars to look at baseball or basketball or one guy, Neil Scobie, who's at Western, actually. I totally forgot about this. He, he's doing his PhD in communications or cultural studies, but was the first one to look at me and use so. Innes and McLuhan had Marshall McLuhan, Marshall McLuhan and Innes. It was I, I'm going blank on the first name, um, but the idea of the space biased or time biased media and Neil, who I think is a brilliant dude, um, just said when he when he learned I was studying the sound of music support was like why don't you apply that idea of like the space and time biased institution instead of the railroad, just call it hockey night in Canada. Wow. Right. And you're like, Oh, right. And, but it's so obvious. It's like, um, we were told not to think about it. And that goes along with this whole discourse. Now that's bigger in the U S than here, but like the shut up and play thing. Yeah. Like, I don't, I think we mentioned it earlier on this, right. Um, Sport's not just sport. It's not just a game. Like I, I like to think it's a, a life or like a platform and a lifestyle. But it's placed with respect to a game. It's built that way. But it's so much more than that. Um, and everything within it, right? Is so much more, right? So yeah, you have this idea of getting a ball through a hoop or a puck in a net. But then, how do you affect it? How do you treat it? How do you dress it up? What's its style? And how does how do the personalities within affect us? Sure. Yeah, like, I mean, you can, if you look even like fashion, like look at the the way fashion in sport has changed. And I mean fashion more than just the way people dress, but like what it sounds like, the style of the game, its image, yeah, the way it's put out through how it's mediatized or whatever, right? Yeah. So I think it's a good a good lens through which to look at society. But in North America, we just don't do that here. There's a few of us, like in terms of like critical sport music scholars. Yeah. I think I know all of them. There's not enough of us, but if you go to Britain, especially, there's, there are entire conferences about the sound of one sport, right? Like it's, it's there. It's part of the discourse in academia. And here it's, I don't know. We're just not allowed to engage. But I, I think are. I think personally, uh, so I am uh, also a sociologist of sport. And, uh, the listeners uh, would know that, and I think that it's partially because we we tend to view sport as an institution by which all good things of our society or of our culture are reflected, and I think that's 
where you start to get into a lot of the politics around uh, race and class in in this or on this continent. Um, why there's been such a backlash against, say, protests, for instance. Sure. Because we view sport as this institution that is reflective of all the good things in our society. When we kind of maybe should move beyond that a little bit and exploring or taking a little bit more of a critical uh, approach to understanding the role of sport in our social world because it's actually reflective of a lot of our biggest issues in terms of right. uh, uh, class divisions, in terms of race, in terms of socioeconomic status, in terms of class and gender. Uh, these, these big institutions or these big ideas that um, are, reflective, are reflected in a whole bunch of social inequalities um, that we can see in sport. And we try to avoid those discussions under the the guise of well sport i just want to watch i just want to sit down on saturday and watch the leafs play i just want to sit down on sunday and watch the broncos whoop the seahawks (laughs) or or something like that right yeah the um what's interesting to think about it with that as the case is you know how sport reflects society but if you trace the early history of american football uh it was instituted in a set of rules that were formed after a bunch of letters were sent between men trying to develop the Protestant uh, work ethic. Yeah. There it is. Sorry. No, I was trying no. to be quiet. Yes, no, it's okay. No, but they were, they were trying to establish um, not only like that people will play sport and will shape the game, but that the game will shape us and that can directly become an outcome or the outcome will come directly from instilling a certain set of rules. Yeah. For example, American football... Uh, encourages innovation. That's why the rule book is so big, because you want to break the rules. That's the American way. Yeah. The other thing is this teamwork that comes from uh, self-sacrifice, putting your head down and just doing your job and going to work. There's so a that's, whole, there's that's a a whole discourse of, of amateurism that goes sure. beyond that, that we, we talked about in volume yeah, two I know. Of, that's super of, interesting. of this uh, podcast. So we won't go there. I kind of want to wrap up with, or or start to conclude with, Questioning you, uh, Jordan Zalis, about potential ways forward in your discipline, but also just in terms of sound studies. It sounds like it, you do research that intersects not only uh, ethnomusicology, but also anthropology and sociology and political economy and political science and a whole bunch of different fields. Where, where sure. do you see the future in your area? Mm-hmm. Um, and where do you uh, see the future in terms of research. So I hope, and we're being definitely coached, pushed in a certain direction, but I hope this is, this is the future, the critical study of not only the sounds themselves, but their secondary, tertiary, you know, readings, their interpretations. Ethnomusicology has gone through a number of identity crises. Um, it's a colonial empire. Right? Yeah. The first ethnomusicologists compared to musicologists are all British. They're all going to the empire to collect the music of uh, the people in the, wherever they were. Oh, is there Indonesia or, a, you know, there's gamelan music somewhere? Oh, let's go collect it, mark it, note it, because it's going to disappear. So it's always kind of struggled, struggled with that idea. But there's this interesting concept coming forward where they're trying to get post-national, but without using the word post-national, what they're calling transnational musicology. Uh, and it's the idea that you can you can study music cultures as music cultures um, 
in kind of the system of a global world beyond nationality. Yeah. Uh, which is really, really, really nice. The other thing is uh, ethnomusicologists are by nature um, interdisciplinary. Um, one of the, you know, the first ones were always comparative. So it always not only music study, but different types of music studies uh, with sociology. I mean, where I learned at Carleton University in a ethnomusicology course there, and then it's a, a master of music and culture, comes out of uh, John Shepard, who's a sociologist who wrote uh, a lot about music and how you can read society's order through tonality and things like that. Uh, so I think the, the way, the way to the future is through a more open study, um, expanding the definition of what constitutes music so that, you know, what might be sound comes into play. I mean, there's all this innovative stuff coming out of sound study. Like when you'd want to talk about political economy, somebody just analyzed the sound of church bells in uh, rural, uh, rural France, but wrote a whole history of, the, of like kind of a French empire on whether or not there were church bells or whether they were melted and formed as cannons during times of conflict. So when you get past the sound and music in the study of sound and music, it becomes anything. You're just reading people. You're reading the whole world. It's just... You know, we just call it like music's game, but it's it's more than that. Yeah, that sounds fascinating, and I I I think that you have a lot of uh, really interesting takes on um, the political economy of sport and sound, mm-hmm. um, and potential future forms of collaboration that <laughs> um, uh, we might even yeah. see on this table right now. Pretty I soon. Think. Um, I think that there uh, are a lot of interesting dynamics at play, uh, particularly when you think of uh, the North and and the Toronto Raptors, and whether it's problematic or not, um, the uh, the selective uptake of discourses. Uh, well, I would flip it and say, what does the North sound like? Yeah, and if that answer is downtown Toronto and the yeah. Air Canada Center, I think we're a little screwed That's up. That's the question here. right there. <laughs> Does does the North sound like downtown? Does the North sound like basketball? Toronto, um, <laughs> Maple Leaf yeah, Square, exactly. or the uh, exactly. Jurassic Front Park. Street, or whatever? Yeah. Is that that what the North sounds like? Yeah. Really? Is that where we are today? Okay. <laughs> I think there. I think there it is. Right yeah. there. There it is. Right what there. What does the North sound like? Well, Jordan Zalas, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Thanks, Derek. It was great. Uh, we're, we're glad to have you on, and it's been fascinating to listen about your research uh, and things that are happening in ethnomusicology and the noise around Ugh. ethnomusicology. Sounds like uh, there's quite a bit of noise there. Mm-hmm. Or sound. That's, it's kind of the point. Yeah, or is it sound? Or is it sound? Is it music. Or what is it? Now we have to talk about that. Uh, well, that might uh, have to wait for another episode on what's that noise. So... Thank you to all the listeners of the pod, uh, and we will catch you next time on What's That Noise. Thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody. Bye.